A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome back to the OMG MotoGP podcast. On the show today, we'll be reacting to the KTM rider news down at Gas Gas. Also, is the title fight now officially a two-horse race? And we've got more Mark Marquez and Honda split fallout and doing it all alongside myself, Harry Benjamin, and former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Hewen. Very pleased to be joined uh, by the MotoGP journalist, an Isle of Man TT winner, a Le Mans 24-hour podium sitter, and God forbid, another podcaster, Matt Oxley. Welcome, Matt. Thank you for taking the time and uh, giving in to, to Keith's uh, pleads to join us. Oh, it was hardly a plea. plea. It was, uh, it's a, an honour, as I say, to be uh, the Grand Prix winner. Yeah. <laughs> a literal Grand Prix winner on an independent on a on an independent motorcycle. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, no, great, great to be with you, Harry. Great to be with you, Keith. Always happy to talk MotoGP and anything to do with motorbikes. It's a really strange domain, though, for you, isn't it, Matt? I mean, we go back a bloody long way. There's no doubt about that, as you can see from the pictures if you're watching this on YouTube. But but the, the, your written word is pretty much revered around the world, um, and here you are now appearing on a camera and speaking. It's quite tricky. Yeah, yeah. I've I've got a good I've got a good night good face for radio. Let's say <laughs> so. Yeah, being on, being on the camera is not my idea of fun, really. But there you go. Um, all the sensible people will just be listening to the audio. I think not, not watching us. Um, yeah. yeah, no, we do go back a long time. Um, when did you win the British three hundred and fifty Grand Prix? Nineteen eighty one was it? I didn't win it actually, Keith, Matt. I'm really pleased that you've elevated me from second place to first place. Oh, I sorry. That. Well, it was a it was a moral victory because you were beaten by a factory bike. That is true. Um, that is very so yeah, true. that was that's that is, that that's that's when I first started as a journalist, and literally we were using typewriters. So that's how old we are. Wow. <laughs> Have you still got any original typewriters? Uh, none of the ones I use. I've got my first laptop, which is a Tandy 200, which was powered by um, four AA batteries with about five lines, <laughs> lines of text on it. I'll go and get it from the garage if you want, but you probably don't want it. In fact, I'll put it right here. No, anyway, carry on. So, yeah, we go back well, that, a long time, and um, we're both fellow addicts. We've been into motorbikes since we were sort of racing, riding around on two strokes in the 70s, and um, here we are still in the in the 2020s, still just the same, really. Nothing's changed. It's called passion. Brilliant. You've got to have some passion for sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't have passion for any other sport, really. It's just motorbikes. Just don't really care about anything else. <laughs> you know, four, four wheels? Dare nah. I say? No, not nearly. Dangerous. <laughs> not, not dangerous enough. Yeah, not dangerous enough. Not okay, fun enough. Okay. Moving yeah. swiftly on. <laughs> um, well, look. I mean, a pleasure to for you to join us. Really appreciate it. And uh, you join us. Obviously, it's been a pretty big week couple of weeks in MotoGP land uh, and we, we spoke about it a lot in our podcast last week I'm sure you've done the same Mark Marquez uh, officially splitting from Honda but it's not that's not the end of it that's obviously big news but um, Matt what are you you hearing over the last week or so 
from the fallout from this with Marquez. We all presume it, it's off to Grassini, but it's not actually confirmed yet, is it? Well, there's nowhere else for him to go, is there? So I think, um, you know, that that's where he's going. Um, yeah, I mean, wow, what a, what, what, a, what a week or two. I mean, the whole silly season kind of thing that kind of gets longer and longer every season just bores the shit out of me, basically. I kind of... The, the thing is that everybody... Um, you know, it's Marquez to Red Bull, it's Marquez to KTM, it's Marquez to Grazini, Ducati, it's, you know, back in the day, you know, Barry Sheen, is he going to go to Honda? And the next week, is he going to go to Kawasaki? And the next week, is he going to go to Yamaha? You know, and, uh, uh, you know, and then, and then when, when the story, when the rider finally signs, the, the paper or would now be a website say we told you first look we said six weeks ago that Barry Sheen was going to Yamaha you know what I mean and it's like well no you also said he was going to Kawasaki Suzuki Triumph and bloody BSA you know so yeah it just wake me up when everybody signs basically is it you I know, mean and I, I want to see motorbikes I want to see motorbikes going around I really don't care about the bullshit you know I really don't care I mean obviously you're a bit old school I've worked with Julian Ryder who's definitely old school as well Julian always used to say to me a story is not a story until it's been verified by two verifiable sources and so on and so forth does Correct. it really piss you off when you get the the always on on social media you always get these guys that like you say speculate across all the platforms with all the, the you know basically you can exactly. say whatever you like and there is always a proportion exactly. of people who will believe it and who will yeah. subscribe yeah. to your channel because of the bullshit you're coming out with does that annoy you as a proper exactly. journalist exactly yes it does it does it really does but i can i can remember you know um working for motorcycle news all those years ago when when you know where your story your job was to get the story of so and so scientists signing to so-and-so. And you knew damn well that everyone you spoke to when it came to this kind of stuff in the paddock was lying to you. You know, whether it be the team manager, the rider manager, the rider, they all lie to you. Of course they do. They're not going to tell you the truth, are they? You know, so, you know, that that's another reason why I find the whole thing pointless because you know you're being lied to. You go, you go I just don't bother with it anymore because what was true yesterday is, is no longer true today. You know, so what's the point, you know? Do you know um, one of the things I yeah, love? I mean, it's, is, I mean, I'm not, I, sorry, go on, go on. I mean, um, I mean, I do know that the fans kind of love it, but I just kind of, I just don't get it myself, you know, because like I say, it's just bullshit. It's just, um, you know, as I say, yesterday's news is is yes, is today's blues, you know. Um, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm here for the, you know, I always say until the wheels are turning, I don't really care, you know. That's what, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to to see riders riding motorbikes and, and and talk to the riders and talk to the engineers. That's what that's what keeps me interested. You know, it might be because obviously, as a, a, a former like you, a former racer. I mean, you've been involved in this as well, and I'm, I'm kind of trying to put this together now because the business behind all of this is so important to make it actually come together. The, and it, the business behind it actually still intrigues me quite a lot. And you, you follow the money effectively. But it's always the way that management are scurrying around in the background. That interests me. Where the money's going to come from, where the money's going to go to, where the new sponsorship's coming from, where the new, the old sponsorship's going. And I think with the Marquez thing, to bring this conversation back on track, that is clearly one of the reasons why we're not getting any Grassini announcements at the moment, in as much as that those T's haven't been crossed and the I's haven't been dotted when it comes to the pound note side of things. I would imagine that there's... A proper furore sure. going on in the paddock at the minute with the, with the shift in finance um, because of the market yeah, shift. Yeah. Uh, I mean, do you sort of follow no, any of that I, I, when you're it's, when you're working? Well, of, of of course, it is interesting. But like I say, I take it all with a massive dose of salt because you know that most people in those situations are lying because they they have to. They can't tell you the truth because they're kind of you know they're trying to negotiate something you know in the background. But what I found really interesting was. Gigi Dalinia revealing to Sky Italia at Mateghi that Marquez was leaving Honda to join Ducati. Now that kind of thing never happens. It never happens. You know, for a, for a factory boss to say before a release has come out confirming, you know, that the thing's been signed and everything. You ne so to me, he was definitely trying to make something happen behind the scenes there. You know, but by by bringing that story out into the open to con confirming it, I think he was trying to move Honda into a corner w w where they couldn't get out of. You know what I mean? Because that was completely un unprecedented. You know, so so something clever was going on there. So I do I do find that kind of thing interesting. But the fact is that you'll never know the truth for 
for another five, ten years, when Gigi Delina writes his autobiography in 10, 15 years, you'll find out what really went on. And I, I love that. But but to actually find out what is really going on now behind the scenes is pretty damn difficult. But that was fascinating, him making that, because like I say, that was unprecedented. So he was definitely doing that for an ulterior motive, 100%. The, the management are out in, in the open at the moment, aren't they, one way and another. We've got Lynn Jarvis out at the moment, this, who again is talking about satellite team how keen they are and he's 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 he's, he's mentioned vr46 how how you know they'd love rossi to be yamaha once again that almost strikes me as being slightly desperate i always feel that yamaha just seem to be out of all the factories behind the game when it comes to their ladder of riders and where they're headed in the future yeah yeah 100 percent. They, they kind of um They've, they've really lost that. And once you lose your, your satellite team, you're, you're kind of stuffed. You know, you're going down, you just, they're dig, digging themselves a deeper and deeper hole. I think there's various reasons for it. You know, one of my, you know, my strong feelings speaking to various engineers is that you, you, you're never going to make enough power with an inline four anymore. You know, the, the more aero you carry, the more drag you create, and therefore the more horsepower you need, you know. So, so you need the aero to go around the corners faster. So now you don't only need horsepower to get you down the straights you also need to get it around the corners you know to, to carry all that aero so I, I think they're in a huge hole that way and you know they, they've got this former ferrari formula one engine designer luca marmarini to design their 2024 engine and we're all like well maybe this is you know this is their last chance to me with an inline four and um Quadraro said at Misano when you tested it, couldn't feel any difference so you know it's just once you get up to sort of eighteen thousand or whatever an inline four gets a bit shaky, you know. So yeah, I I think Yamaha are in a hole, and I, and I don't know how they're going to get out of it. Do you think though, just just to to see oh, that's Yamaha, just on on the Honda stuff though? We spoke about it last week. Are they in a bit of a hole now when it comes to who do they replace Marquez with? Oh, because right. I know they've got Zarco going the LCR at the moment, but that that could change. What do you see uh, as the cards falling there? Yeah, I mean, it's a massive, you know, the less competitive your bike, the harder it is to get riders to ride it. You know what I mean? If, if you're a good rider, if you're a top rider, you're not going to go to Honda now, are you? I mean, I mean, Zarko's a pretty good rider, but he's not one of, he's not, you know, one of the top three or four, is he? You know, he hasn't won. A, I hope he wins a Grand Prix very, you know, before he leaves Ducati. Um, I think Honda are also in a big hole. I, th- I think they're in the sort of hole that Ducati were when Stoner left in 2010 and it took from 2010 to 2016 for for Ducati to dig themselves out of that hole you know I think Honda are in that same sort of position I, I think two three years maybe to get out of it you know they, they need to completely basically GT Delinea has completely transformed MotoGP um, since 2016 you know it's a completely different game now the the European factories have gone with him. They're in his slipstream. But but Honda and Yamaha are just like, uh, uh, what, 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 what the hell's going on? What the hell's going on? Oh, shit. We're, 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 getting, we're getting our asses kicked, you know? I think with Honda, the big surprise for me, and this is where they might be able to dig themselves out of the hole a little bit earlier, is that they, they seem to have taken on board uh, a strategy that we've never seen the Japanese do before. When we, as soon as we started seeing Calex getting involved in uh, in making swing arms and bits and bobs as well. As soon as we started to see that outside of the factory, developments coming from an outside provider, that's a very unusual situation. Do you see that happening regarding their technicians as well, like buying in a Gigi Delinia, uh, you know, or even somebody management-wise like oh. Ravola that came into Aprilia that have turned them around as well? Do you see the Japanese factories perhaps being a bit more proactive in that d- direction? If if they want to win again, that hundred percent, that's what they've got to do. They they they've got to um t- to me they they've got to move their operations to Europe, um, you know. So H, I mean, I know Yamaha in Milan, they have you know quite a lot of three D printing, um, CNCs, you know, machines at Yamaha, in 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 their MotoGP team in Milan. So they can make stuff, but I think you've got to go further. I think you've basically just got to base your whole Grand Prix operation in Europe. You know, um, I mean, you could argue well, only half the races are in Europe. But I don't know. The thing is, you're not going to go and get. You're probably not going to get European engineers. I mean, I know Honda were chasing Delinia. You know, um, you're not going to get European engineers to go and live in Japan. I don't think. 
You know what I mean? So I think you probably got to bring the team to Europe, you know, but 100% they've, they've got to go out and buy, you know, the only reason KTM are, are doing what they're doing now is because they've bought a, they bought a dozen engineers and so on off, off Ducati, you know, come and tell us how they do it. And that's what they've done. You know, that's, that's where that, that's why KTM are so fast now, you know, but that, that's what you've got to do in racing. You know, you've got to go, you've got to do whatever it takes to win, you know? Could you see a time coming, Matt, where they look at the books like Suzuki did and decide, well, that's it, Yamaha, we're 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 pulling out because it 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 does seem to me, and over a number of years now, not just recently, but it always seems like Yamaha, I won't say made a less effort because I think everybody to a man has worked extremely hard within the the factory and on site, but it does seem like they've been half-hearted, if I can put it like that in their efforts to, to, to move things forward. And it seems like they've relied too much on on past performance and past technology, um, and they've not moved it forward. Could you see them doing a Suzuki where suddenly they go, hang on a minute, we've, we've done the math, we've looked at it, you know, the amount of money it's going to cost us to get somewhere, we don't believe that's the future, and they pull out? Uh, I, yeah, I mean, anything can happen. I mean, it's kind of, it's all speculation, but, the, you know, you know, if Suzuki can do it, why not Yamaha? I'm not sure where where their where their current contract ends. Whether it's at the end of the current rule cycle, which is 2026 into 2027, uh, their con- contract with Dorna. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, anything can happen. I mean, the, 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 I kind of liken it to what happened in the early 60s when when the Japanese arrived, you know, in Europe with their you know new motorcycles, and the British industry was like, nah, we've got nothing to worry about. You know, they can build little scooters and stuff, but they're, they're no way they're going to give be able to be, build big bikes like us and then you know five like five years later they're all bankrupt you know and and, and I, I i kind of see uh, i'm not talking about the factories i'm talking about the you know in MotoGP, i see that they're in a similar situation that they've just come along the europeans have just changed the game and the japanese are still sitting there like holy holy hell you know what, what just happened you know so so maybe i i mean i know that honda and yamaha and suzuki none of them were keen on the aero thing, you know, none of them wanted it to happen because they've, you know, they get their budget from their, uh, from the company, from the parent company to go racing on the basis that what we're doing here is helping produce better road bikes. And, and they all went, well, this stuff isn't helping produce better road bikes. So we can't really sell it to, to the management. So they didn't really want to go down that road. But, you know, ultimately, if you want to win or needed to did KDM, but they realised that's just what you got to do. You know, if you're, to, if you're going to win, you got to do what the winners are doing. You know, I floated an idea in our last uh, conversation. Me and Harry did uh, on an extra that we do on a on a Friday that goes out. Um, I think that the manufacturers in, in 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 their their group, if you like, is that that basically make the rules and have to unanimously agree um, amongst themselves where it's all going. I personally feel that, that that there should be a situation where that's changed to a majority so that, that you get more flexibility 100%. in what can or can't be achieved in the next set of rules. Of course, 100%. Uh, I agree 100%. It, it's a ridiculous way to run, run a rule system where, where you have uh, 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 you have to have unanimity amongst all the all the people involved. That's just stupid. You know, you can have what we've got five manufacturers at the moment. You can have four voting one way, wanting answer a and 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 the, the other one wanting answer b which is the current situation or whatever and and, and the one f- and the single factory win, wins the argument against the other four it's just stupid you know it really is but that that was brought in in the early 90s when dorna came in and they were doing the f- contracts with the factories and everything and that was seemed as the best way to kind of look after the stakeholders i.e the factories but to me it's just they need to get rid of that because it's it's put motor gp in a in a real kind of um uh yeah it's just a, a technical mess at the moment i think do you see do you see uh, the future i mean we've got mike trimby who sadly we lost him a couple of weeks ago now uh at mizano um camilo espeleta is not a young man his son is is a bright young thing and looks like he's going to be um the next next carmelo but do you see a, a sea change in things regarding the management? Do you see things changing massively in the very near future because of the the yeah. old school, if you like, are rolling over a bit? Hundred um, percent. I, I think we're kind of, you know, I mean, MotoGP's been a business for 
as long as you or I can remember, you know, I mean, it's, you know, racing is always a business, you know, people are doing it to try and make money, whether that's the riders, the promoters, uh, the mechanics, you know, everybody's in it trying to make money, trying to make a living out of it. And um, uh, MotoGP has become incredibly professional. You've got a huge paddock now. I mean, you know, when you were Grand Prix racing, the paddock was probably 300 people, <laughs> you know, and um, now Max. it's probably 3,000. So, 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 so that's wonderful, you know, that, that all those people are getting to work doing their doing their dream but I, I do feel that everything's becoming more of a business and less of a sport you know and, and you could just say that's inevitable that's the way with everything it's the same it's look at sprint races for example the, the riders and the teams who are the guys that make the show you know no one else makes the show Dorna just film it you know I'm not being nasty to Dorna I think they do a, a magnificent job in many many ways but you know, to, to, to completely change the, the, the game without consulting the riders or the teams was just beyond to me. I mean, I went, what, what the hell? <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, and that, I don't think Carmelo would have done that. I don't think Carmelo would have done that. He, he was, um, so I think everything's becoming a bit more business. You know, it's just like basically, here you go. You know, if you don't like it, piss off somewhere else, basically. Um, and, and, you know, <laughs> fair, you know, everyone's got to make money but i you know i think you you do need to respect the people that are making the show and taking the risks i.e the riders and you know and the and the teams you know i mean this going into this mad a mental sort of six races and seven weekends on four different cons no sorry four 12 races over seven weekends over four continents i mean you know not everybody flies business class you know a lot of these mechanics are going to be in a mess by the last couple of rounds and you don't want riders mechanics making mistakes on bikes that do 220 miles an hour do you you know um so yeah no it's it's, it's definitely going more business and fair enough you know um that's just the way it is you know it's a very very good point isn't it um we've had a couple of questions come in uh off the back of uh all this uh marquez news as well and uh and the uh japanese european debate archie has got in touch and says could there be a surprise twist and KTM swoops in to buy Grassini? Well, that, this is another weird... Who wants weird, to stab at that one? <laughs> yeah, this is, this is another weird thing that um, Dorna didn't want Marquez to go to KTM. So that's why they told KTM you can't have another um, a team because, because Dorna are terrified, quite rightly, that Honda would leave. So they're like, right, we've got to do whatever we can to keep Marquez at Honda so no you can't have an extra team KTM so that blocks that door for for, for uh, Marquez but then in the end he, he goes to Grazzini Ducati but the weird thing is that Grazzini only renewed its Ducati deal at the end of June when when all this story was already out everybody knew Marquez wanted to you know that was a rumour that everybody didn't know it was the rumour um, so why didn't Dawn appoint uh Grazzini in the direction of KTM at that point. I just don't understand. It doesn't doesn't add up. You know, when again, when Carmelo Espeleta writes his autobiography in, in 10 years or so, maybe we'll find out. But yeah, I mean, so it could have been Grazzini KTM, which would have been fantastic because then you would have six KTMs and six Ducatis. And that would be better than eight Ducatis and four KTMs, you know. But yeah, I'm who knows what goes on in those offices? I have no idea. We can only guess. well. Uh, wish it, we uh, wish it, we they should stick it all on on YouTube. I reckon. Well, the transparency <laughs> thing is a, is a major problem, isn't it? I mean, I've been trying to get to the bottom of the why we couldn't have the two extra KTM situations, and I, I get conflicting answers from all of that. And now that the Mike Mike Trimby obviously was a good friend of ours, and 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 as much as Mike wanted to help us with the with information, there are certain things that he knew that he wouldn't uh, even tell his mates. And uh, you could never quite get to the, the distinct bottom of why. Interesting that, that you say that uh, Dorna didn't want another KTM situation because of, of Mark Marquez leaving. It'd be interesting now whether we get in the future uh, another couple of slots appear, which, and if they do appear, then we know that your theory may well be right there, Mr. Oxley. Yeah, I, I mean, the, thing, the, the other reason why Dorna didn't want to put another independent team out there is because they have to they have to finance them you know dawn of finance is you know which is a fantastic you know we look at formula one and premier league football and so on all the money goes to the top you know and and massive props to dawn for coming up with a system where it basically finances all the independent teams to the tune of 
several million each a, a year. Um, so, but th they didn't really want an, another independent team that they'd have to, you know, finance. So, uh, whether that will happen at the, in the, in the future, I don't know. But to me, the the, the biggest thing MotoGP needs now more than anything is Marquez. Mark Marquez back at the front, you know, um, because wow, you know, I, I, you know, one of the reasons the the various reasons the racing has become more processional in recent years. Uh, but one of them is the fact that Marquez isn't there stabbing it up the inside wherever he can, you know. But is there a worry that with Marquez on a Ducati, he's just going to walk it and no, and then it's just going to be Marquez winning every race now? Well, the great thing about that is Grassini's not the motorbike that um, Pramac have got. I mean, we're talking about, I mean, I'm sure the Ducati are going to weigh in fairly heavily at Grassini, but they're a bit further down the pecking order when it comes to the uh, the equipment level at this point. I can see that changing come next year. Um, well, that's the thing. The, the 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 worst thing that could. Sorry, go on, Harry. No, 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 Matt. Please, you're more, way more informed than I am. Um, the, the, <laughs> Second, no, I wouldn't wouldn't say that. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Grazzini. Yeah, that, so they're down the pecking order. The one thing that could really muck things up for Marquez next year is if if the GP24 is way better than the GP23 which I doubt it, it will be because there's so little testing time now that you can't make radical changes um you have to just tweak 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 because you they get what five five or six days of pre-season testing I mean, it's it's crazy so you can't and that, come up with something completely new you know well like do you know Matt it's going to be it's amazing that we haven't talked about this privately at some stage in the past I've, I'm a, an advocate of, of the homologation point being two or three Grand Prix into the season not at the point where we get to the first Grand Prix where that's you know you, you've, you've now got your, your technical cutoff point here I, I believe that it should be further into the season particularly now we're having long seasons let's let's have so that they can do, if they want to, some testing and some some jiggery pokery in the first three, four, five Grand Prix. Yeah, not not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. I, I mean, I think that, that there needs to be, you know, for the, for the sake of the championship, some, something like that. Because, you know, because now if you get it wrong at the first race, that's it. You know, if, if, if what you homologated for the first race, i.e. your engine, um, which is the heart of the motorcycle, still is, you know, you, aero whatever 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 the engine is still the most important thing you know um if you get your engine wrong um that's you stuff for the whole year you know and you've got no chance to dig it so rather i always thought they should allow an, one engine update a year halfway through the season so so that um you know at least at least you wouldn't be stuffed for the whole year you know you you've messed up so you're going to suffer for half the season but um but they need you know, testing then you'd be able to get Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, your idea is not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. It would certainly make the first few races pretty crazy. <laughs> Keith, not um, having a bad idea. You know, the thing, of course, is cost, you know, and, that, and that's what they're trying to minimize. But there is a balance somewhere. You know, there's a balance somewhere. And, and as for Marquez, how's he going to go on the Ducati? Well, I... Is he going to leave everybody for assuming the GP24 is not dissimilar to the to the uh, GP23 that Marquez will have? You know, without a doubt, he'll be up the front. And I know Grazzini isn't a top team, but if I was Marquez, you know, he'll be bringing a ton of Red Bull money with him and stuff. If I was Marquez, I'd be investing some of that money in the team because Grazzini's a good team. I mean, look, look what it did with Bastianini last year, and it's it won a sprint this year with Alex Marquez. It's a good team, but I think. Marquez will want it to be better and you know and, and I think you know he really doesn't I don't really get, think he gives a toss about money right now you know I think he'd happily ride for nothing you know you know what I mean he'd invest all of his money that he's getting from Red Bull into the team to make it because all he wants to do is go out there and kill everyone again like he used to do in the past you know that's what he wants to do he's a mm -hmm. that's the way he is you know he's um uh and will he you know the nice thing about the Ducati is that everyone can ride it you know, now yeah. it's the op complete opposite to what it used to be. You know, now it's the bike that every now it used to be the bike that no one except one man in the in the world could ride, and now it's the bike that everyone can ride. And um, so I think Marquez will, you know, uh, will get the the hang of it pretty quickly. I mean, you look at what his brother did, and you know, his brother's a twice world champion, but he isn't the same as Mark Marquez. You know, he, he Alex was straight away on it. 
you know on on you know fast so i think i think next year oh, i mean yeah it could be fantastic and acosta going to gas gas um you know i i think it's with rookies just give the guy a bit of chance you know when when Acosta went to Moto Two and had a real struggle, his first half season in Moto Two was a struggle, and everybody's going, "Ah, he's lost it. He's not as good as everybody thought he was." Blah blah blah. You know, you know what I mean? It's just mental that people mm. kind of uh, just jump to those conclusions. If you don't just jump on a completely different motorcycle and, and instantly. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. Nail it, you know. Then, then, then you've obviously lost your skills, which is nonsense. So, I think Acosta will get there, but much of it will depend on whether KTM can keep up its rate of progress to kind of um, keep getting closer to Ducati, to, to which won't be easy. Well, you've taken well, us there, it. Matt. Um, with this uh, KTM news, Keith, that Gaz Gaz are getting rid of Paulus Bargro to make way for Pedro Acosta. It's that sort of they've gone against what they've normally done, and they haven't sacrificed a, another rookie this time around. They're keeping Fernandez. It was inevitable that Costa was going to make that step up. But do you feel a bit for for Pole's side? No, I don't feel a bit for any rider at the end of the day because I've been there and I know what it's like. It is a business. Matt's already hit on that. And at the end of the day, if you're not performing, you you start to move around. We talked about it last time. If a, if a factory's not happy with a rider, they'll let him go. If a rider's not happy with a the factory, they'll they'll generally find a way out. It it sort of it's it kind of finds its own own level at the end of the day. I think where Paul will be particularly cheesed off is that KTM is a coming. You know that carbon frame straight out of the out of the box was something that worked, and that can only get better. Um, KTM might steal a march from this point onwards. We'll, we'll wait and see how that develops. You know, They could be the manufacturer of next year, without any doubt. I think there's a lot of people that are going to be running slightly scared of what KTM have, have achieved. They've invested heavily. They've got the right people on site. And where Paul Espargaro will be really, really cheesed off is he's going to lose an opportunity to, to be on that wave, that crest of a wave. And I think that's, from a rider perspective, that's horrible. In Acosta's case, he was the man, wasn't he? He was going to move on through. Uh, and, and I always work on three-year cycles for, for, in my brain for, for riders. You know, the first year, win a world championship. Yeah, everybody's shouting and hollering and being on your on your, on your your back and saying how wonderful you're going to be. And then the second year, it's bloody hard retaining a world championship. You ask anybody that's that's done it, the second year is hard. By the time you get to your third year, if you've managed to do it on a third year running, um, you are truly a... a, a world champion superstar but it's not as easy as all of that um and i think with manufacturers heavily investing particularly in europe at the moment the, the european war is really hotting up and the ktm are looking like they're going to be right at the forefront of that come next year and then matt we've got all the the rule changes in 27 you alluded to it a bit earlier on this big contract ends in 26 27 is all the new the new stuff that comes out, all the things that are being written and talked about behind the buses at the moment when, when the, we're not party to, but it's all being discussed now. It's going to be interesting to see what shape that takes. Then we move into the domain of what tracks are going to be safe and, and whether we're going to be going back to some of the traditional tracks or whether we're moving slightly more east and so on. I mean, yeah, you've got to look at Qatar. I mean, why Qatar has even got a Grand Prix, I don't know. I mean, I won't get into politics because I know Matt, <laughs> Matt and me will argue think- like hell, but... Qatar I think, is I just think an you, I awful think you know place, very... and it, it, we shouldn't be having a Grand Prix there, in my opinion, at all. Um, we've just come off the back of a Formula One Grand Prix, where you know they they 
they've done whatever they've done to the track. It's slippery. The curbs aren't quite where they ought to be. We've got we've not got the Mizano curbs. They're going to have to dig all the curbs up before we get there for MotoGP because the curbs they've got there are those ridiculous, harsh things. And even with Formula One, they had to they had compulsory bloody pit stops because the tyres weren't lasting when they were running out onto the curbs. So. Uh, it's a slightly different thing with the bikes, of course. It's dangerous to the rider rather than to the tyre. Um, but there are issues. Yeah. I'd, I'd vote for not even bothering yeah, going to Qatar any time of the year. Well, the, I mean, you know, there's a few places we go to where, where you know, there's a, a lot of reasons not to. But, we, you know, it's a business and Dorna needs to make a profit. And, and if it can go to places where it can make a lot of money, uh, you know, we're going to be going to Saudi in a couple of years, aren't we? So, you know... Um, you know, it's the sport washing thing that's that's everywhere now. It's just the just the way it is, and you know, it pisses me off. But I kind of just try to think about the motorbikes, really. Um, yeah, about about the curbs. You know, if anybody's seen them, the the curbs they put in at, at, at uh, Qatar that they, they are evil, like the dragon's teeth that Keith. Well, you know, you just about stopped by then. I think about sort of late eighties, early nineties they came in, and you know, if you crashed. And slid down the curb. Basically, you were going to break an arm uh, or a leg because the the, the, the 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 they were like little pyramids, and you just go. Dun, 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 dun. You do that at 100 miles an hour, it's gonna it's gonna rip you to pieces. So they're going to need to change those curbs to the Mizano curbs for the MotoGP. Now, I thought that recently the FIM and the you know the our governing body and the FIA, the car governing body, have been much more. Um, sitting down together to discuss safety let's find a, a common ground so we can make the track safe for us and for them you know um and, and these curbs are just completely the opposite of that you know if if that's the way formula one's going to go with the curbs and we need the softer curves the, the less aggressive curbs they're going to have to dig up the curbs at every circuit between the f1 and MotoGP every year i mean how insane is that um so yeah i mean in qatar it's not a problem because they've got more money than and they know not what to do with, and they've got semi-slave labour to, to do the work. So, you know, it's not a problem, but you come to Europe or whatever where you have to pay people a proper wage and, and there's, the countries aren't as rich, um, it's going to be a huge problem, you know. I, I think after Qatar, Formula One this weekend, and obviously the problem they had with the tyre manufacturer, they're probably going to find a bit of a rethink going on in Formula One regarding their curbing. I think it might be, might be moving yeah. more towards the Misano curb just by default because of the problems they had with the, the frequency that the this uh, rumble strip was putting through the tyre that was, was... And apparently you couldn't even visually see a problem. It was something when they, they broke them down um, back in the old technical department, uh, they could they could see that the construction was uh, was was weakening because of the frequency of, of, of the movements that they were getting off of the off of the tyres. Like I say, we ain't worried, worried about any of that because we're not going to be bouncing off of the curbs unless we're sliding across them on our backside. So it's a, it's a different thing altogether. But all the same, you're right. It's costly to have to change, put the wrong curbs in. That's a big old deal. Mm. Microscopic were they had, that was the only way they could see the damage on the Pirelli tyres in F1. And then there was actually new curbs they were trying out in Qatar. They're not at every track. These were new curbs to try and deter drivers from exceeding track limits didn't really work and then obviously these curves ended up basically crushing the tires over and over again and that, that continued to happen and then it had to be a, a minimum three stop race and it was very very confusing um but I, I, let's not let's not unlock the f1 can of worms but you're absolutely right when it comes <laughs> comes to that stage I think there's going to be rethinking across the board there um coming back to moto gp uh also some news matt in the last was it over the weekend um Pizzecchi injured what do we know and does this make the title race simply between Peko and Jorge now uh, I think it happened on Saturday the usual um, you know ranch training session so that it's not motocross as far as I know you know they're doing dirt track around that fantastic um, I went there a few years ago just fantastic um, dirt track uh, circuit. It's not just a circle. It's a. It's like it goes all over the hills, lefts and rights, and it's just awesome. Um, so they, you know, that's where all the VR forty six riders race, and they do race. You know, I'm, I'm seeing it. They, they're kind of, you know, they're more vicious than they are in in, in MotoGP quite a lot of the time. A because they're going slower, but a, B because there's no race direction. They can just do whatever they like to each other. So it's it gets pretty pretty gnarly, you know. 
And um, I don't know the exact circumstances of the crash, but he just presumably lost it, crashed and, and broke his right collarbone. He's had it pinned and plated. And I think um, uh, people might already know by the time this pod comes out whether he's going to ride at um, uh, Lombok this weekend. I mean, it's not just the fact of him having had this big op- yeah, it's just a, not a big operation, it's, but it's a fairly serious operation. Um I'm going to Lombok tomorrow and it's going to take me 33 hours to get there. So, you know, if you've just come out of a um, hospital <laughs> and then you've got a 20, let's, I've got a bad connection in one of the stops you have to make, which is why it's taken me that long. But it's still going to take you kind of 20 hours, something like that. So, you know, and then racing, you know, you really want to do that um, straight after an operation. I, if if I was a surgeon, I'd be like, well, yeah, if it was Hareth and you just had to, jump on your on Peko Bagnaya's private jet and whiz down to Hareth with him, cool. But, you know, that hugely long um, journey, just straight after an operation, you know, with a healing collarbone. But, and, and, and also, you know, even if he does ride there, he's not going to be at his best, I don't think. You know, he's 54 points behind. He had a, he kind of, it, it's, it's it was a two-horse race anyway between Peko Bagnaya and Jorge Martin, but he, he was a kind of wild card. Pazeki was a wild card, and, and he is a wild card. You know, he was 50 points behind, still in with a shout, and nothing to lose. That's what you want, isn't it? So you've got two guys with everything to lose who are, like, trying to duke it out with each other, and then you throw in a guy in the middle that's got nothing to lose, and that, that's the kind of scenario you want, isn't it? That's what's going to be super exciting, having this, you know, Marco Bezeki, and he is a bit of a nutter. I love him. You know, he's just such a sweet, cool cool guy and 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 got such a lot of charisma you know he's he, he's like the kind of the bastard son of valentino rossi and marco simoncelli basically isn't he you know he, um so it's super sad to le- lose him out of the title fight really is um as for banyai martin who knows i mean martin's definitely on a roll at the moment um but you know keith will know keeping that role going isn't easy, is it? You know, you you get into a kind of psychological state where you go from one race to the other and you're just going boom, boom, boom. And then you go to the next race and, you know, maybe you had a nice week's holiday with your girlfriend on the beach or whatever and you've just lost it. You you know what I mean? You kind of, you just, your brain has moved out of that zone and suddenly you're not there anymore. So it's going to be fascinating. And, and, you know, the fact they're both on pretty much identical bikes, well, they are on identical bikes. Um, It's going to be, it's going to be very cool, I think. I mean, you know, let's hope that it's a uh, that they both go all the way um, without it being decided by you know a crash or a breakdown or something like that. Let's let's just hope that they're kind of um, on it all the way to Valencia or you know wherever. I've got the feeling they will be freezing cold Valencia at the end of November. Bezeki, uh, several things for Bezeki really. I mean, like he lost ten points last time out. You know, went from forty-four to fifty-four adrift, which is an issue, obviously. Um, plenty of points still left, but one of the things that concerns me most about that long haul business, the mechanics of that shoulder will have been fixed. They'd have bolted that, no problem at all. But it's the infection side exactly. of things that you, you can pops up now and again. And if he does do any damage while he's away in Lombok, it's that, that care that he, he would be looking for while he's away. So it, it's a risk and reward situation, isn't it? So I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't go. But then again, based on what you've just said anyway, Matt, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he does go either, to be honest, and gives it no, a go because he no, gives that these, kind of these... lad and you would, uh, you would hope that would happen. Regarding Jorge Martin and, and, and Bagnaya on the same bikes, I mean, I do really think at the moment that Jorge Martin has, uh, has shown us some toughness and Peko Bagnaya has not got to rethink, but he's got to really, really, really now be concerned about his, um, his hit rate because it's dropped massively in the last few Grand Prix. Uh, just when Jorge Martin is peaking. Um, Pramac is a lovely, lovely team to ride for. It's It's got that kind of atmosphere about it. It's got that kind of laid-back yet professional manner. It really does for me. It hits all the, the traditional marks for, for motorbike racing. You know, fun off the track, great on the track. I do love the way they go about their business. When you're on the big red bikes, you know, you've got Giabatti in the in the team, you know, the man of Carly sometimes, all the rest of them all stood in there with their bloody shirts on and they're all in red. And it does have a tension about it that, to be honest, is quite intimidating. And if you're just dipping a little bit at the moment, Bang Nye is, 
you know, wounding himself from several directions, from his own and from the management point of view. Um, I know which team I'd rather ride for if it was just for fun and games, and that would be Pramac by a mile. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I agree that it's probably a more comfortable place to be, you know. Um, being in the factory team uh, is is always a lot of pressure. And like you say, you've got Chibati in there, you've got, you got um, Dalinia in there. They're, they're both pretty serious people, you know, who... who um, <laughs> a bit like being at school, I kind of, kind of, you know what I mean, and kind of looking up, and there's two sort of, sort of tough masters standing down, look, looking at you, going, and you know that's probably not great for your, um, your sort of psyche. I mean, I, I like both of them for different reasons. You know, Peko is, you know, he's the least motorbike racer looking bloke you've ever seen, isn't he? You know, if you saw him just walking down the street, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you know, you'd just think, oh, that's some kid going off doing whatever. Whereas you look at Martin and he's just like a bloody cage fighter, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? He, um, and, and, and my God, the way he's been riding, I mean, they've been so kind of equally matched. I mean, in the rain at Matagi, he was just sensational. I mean, to be in the front the whole way pretty pretty much i think after he, he he ran off didn't he went all the way down to eighth and fought his way back up to first i mean bloody hell you know that's pretty amazing um and then banai was just behind him lap after lap after lap after lap after lap and he didn't make one single mistake you know in the rain at Matagi, that is so easy to make a mistake there and he didn't and and like i say he's in the zone at the moment and if he can keep it in the zone uh which like i say isn't easy then i, I I would say he's he he would be my favourite, but not not by much because the kind of pressure they're under it's so easy for either of them to make a mistake, and you know one mistake and it's probably game over, isn't it? Gryf one says, how much closer do you think Bez would be if he had if he was on the latest factory bike? Um, I, I I don't think it makes an awful lot of difference. I, I think the thing with Bez is that he's still on, this is only his second season. You know, you have got to remember that. You, what, you forget when did that, don't you? Come in? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, it's his second season, so he's still learning. You know, and he and he's and he's definitely got, you know, the, a bit of the sort of madman about him, which I love. You know, I love I love uh, motorbike races are a bit mad. You know, that's that's what really kind of gets me going. Um, you know, and I'd put people like Marquez like that, you know, they're just kind of prefer- prepared to go, you know, win by any means necessary. That, that's what I want to see, you know. And and Bezeki's a bit like that. He's a bit wild and he's learning, you know. I think by next year, yeah, so I don't think the bike makes a huge amount of difference. I think the technical backup does. Like, um, uh, Martin has got exactly the same contract as Banaya. That's the only way Ducati could hang on to him. So he's got the same money and he's got the same amount of electronics engineers and that's the most important thing. And the electronics engineers are the guys you never see and girls that you never see in MotoGP because there's the back of the garage, the big red wall or the big purple wall or whatever it is. Behind there, and you never see that on telly, there's four or five people tapping away on their laptops all weekend you know and then there's another bunch back at the factory doing the same thing and uh, in con- in martin's contract he has the same amount of electronics engineers behind his wall as, as banyaya does and that's hugely important um so that's the kind of nice thing about it i guess i mean when did we last have two guys fighting for the championship on the same bike would that be like Ro- Ro- rossi and lorenzo maybe on the yamaha um doesn't happen yeah. that often and it, and it makes for a sort of intriguing. Well, it just makes everything closer, doesn't it? You know, uh, you don't have to think. Well, is this is this track going to suit the Honda or the Ducati? You know, they're both on the same bikes. It's all down to them. You know, which is it cool. also underlines Matt just how much of an advantage Ducati have got because all of that lot is coordinated together, and all of those riders that and you can you can guess that that even though Grassini might be just a fraction backwards in the pecking order at this point in the in their. Uh, evolution i can see that changing now that mark marcus is on board as well and even more engineers getting involved behind that um, cover that you've been talking about but with eight bikes on the grid and all of that data being assimilated or assimilated is that the right word i don't know brought together so they can actually work out every single nuance that's going on on each and every track um that has got to be an advantage and i would imagine honda and particularly yamaha are up against it regarding oh, absolutely. that. You know, if you've only got oh, two bikes y- out Yamaha. on the track like Yamaha have, they really are on a hiding to nothing. Yeah. 
you've got not got a chance, not got a chance. Um, uh, and and it's not just the data from the old way that we look at it, i.e., that all their eight riders can can look at the data of all the other riders. So if they're struggling at one corner with their line or their speed or where they open the throttle, they've got seven guys to look at, including the, you know. Um, so even if Banaya is struggling with a corner, maybe you know maybe one of the other riders is doing that corner better, and he can look at it and look at the lines, look at whether how much brake pressure they're using, where they're getting on the throttle, that kind of stuff. But even also now, what's increasingly important is computer modeling and computer simula- sim- simulation, <laughs> um, which is becoming more and more important. I mean, it's been huge in Formula One for some years, and and it's and it's increases in, in importance the less practice time you get because you don't have as much time to fix problems on the bike, on the track. So you feed all your data into the computer and it'll run a thousand simulation laps or a thousand simulations of that corner and it'll pop up with three solutions that it thinks are worth trying on the bike. And then you, and then the engineers sit down, okay, we'll use, we'll try one, two and three or one and two. So it gives them a huge advantage from that point of view as well. And, and the, the computer simula- simulation thing is, is huge now. Um, and, and, and a fascinating thing and it includes artificial intelligence it includes machine learning deep machine learning all these sort of things and I, yeah and I happen to know that Ducati have got some very special software that allows them to process this stuff super quick so they're kind of ahead in so many ways at the moment not just mechanically but also kind of you know in your digital zeros and ones world you know which is becoming more and more important absolutely um you mentioned earlier on MotoGP is entering a bit of an insane run uh, towards the end of the the season it's been a bit of an insane year really when you think back and sprint races being introduced what seemed to be fairly last minute and it wasn't just you know they didn't do the f1 thing of we'll try a couple out see how they go straight away every single race uh riders and teams go well hang on a minute well do we get paid more now we're getting into the latter end of the season, nope. Matt. How how do you look back at, at, at the, the sprint races and, and this sort of rejigged format for MotoGP this year? Do you think it's been a success? Will there be changes made for next year? Uh, I have to say I wasn't a, a, a fan to start off with and I'm still not. I mean, you know, everybody said, oh, the racing and the sprints is going to be insane. It's going to be amazing. And like it was for the first one or two and then everybody started hurting themselves. And so everybody, you know, the, the sprints, pretty much just i mean it's another race yep so that's cool but i you know to me it's meant to be grand prix racing i, I don't see the you know the, 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 the to me the, the the best thing would have been do, done to change the rules to make the racing better rather than to have more races you know with just as little overtaking and and, and the fact is that the number of riders missing and this is all done in data that i've seen um the number of riders missing races through in through injury this year has tripled since last year tripled we haven't had a full grid of full-time riders all year we're on what round 13 14 we've had 14 rounds and we haven't had one full grid all season because there's been at least one rider hurt which isn't good for the championship if you've got guys like you know guys like folger bradle um think of all the all the other replacement riders um, piro you know they're all awesome yeah, exactly. They're all awesome riders, but you put them on a MotoGP bike and they're at the back. So, you know, what's that doing to the promotion of the championship? If you've got a quarter of the grid of bloody test riders riding around at the back. I mean, you know, if you're injuring all your star riders, you know, the guys, you know, that people turn on their televisions to watch, what is that doing to the championship? So, you know, me, there's no let me, doubt. Let me that- kind of jump across. Let me kind of jump across some of that then, Matt, if I can. Um, I mean, I- go on. From what I've actually looked at, I mean, a lot of the accidents that we've seen, a lot of the injuries that we've seen have come from the main GP race on the Sunday, not not from the sprint race. Are you saying that the sprint race is putting so much more pressure on them that even when we get to Sunday, that it's causing them some kind of fatigue phenomena that that, that, that is creating more more accidents on I, the I don't day? Think it's, I, don't, I don't think it's... I don't think... I don't think it's fr- the, the the biggest in- increase, and I've seen all the data, is in practice of injuries sustained in practice, and that, and that's yeah. because you know you've reduced the amount of practice, and therefore um, you, you're putting more pressure on the riders to. And it was particularly this, you know, when when they had the first practice session as a timed session was just counting towards Q2 was insane. You've got guys going out; they've been out for half an hour, and they're putting on soft tires and just Polis Bargro, you know, he he told me that he you know. 
every qualifying lap is like losing a life. You know, these guys are absolutely, well, over the limit every time you do a qualifying lap, you know. So so if you're forcing riders to do more qualifying laps, then they're going to get hurt more. And and this is the situation we're in, you know. The, but isn't, with, isn't that a doubt, again... Isn't that a, isn't that again though, Matt? Down to the fact that these races are won or lost in the first couple of corners, quite often. In as much as they've yep, got to be yep, that, on the front two rows of the grid with the, the arrow and the like that we've got at the moment. If they don't get 100%, that those 100%. opportunistic passes done early on in the race, then they're done for in the race. Yeah, hundred percent, and, and and that's what I'm talking about. The technical mess that we're in. You know, we, we, we're kind of keep backing it's not us it's not me it's mother gp keeps backing itself into a corner with 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 um the, the format the rules the technology it's just getting yeah you're right everybody has to go mad we've had the last five uh race weekends we've had four turn one pileups i mean you know i mean it's just daft and a lot a lot of that is down to um you know the start devices you know that everybody arrives at the first you know it's no longer counts for rider skill you know you just nail it and and you just go to the and everybody arrives at the first corner at the same time and, and what happens then, of course, and it's not only yeah, yeah exactly and it's not only that they have to smash the front brake really hard to disengage the front hold the, the whole shot device and if they don't you know they're screwed for the first few corners so, so you know and if they smash the front brake too hard they lock the front and crash and you, you know what i mean i mean you would struggle to come up with a a set of rules and technology that made it more risky. You really would, you know. And and that's why so many people are getting hurt. And and like I say, I, I just don't think that's a good way to promote the championship, having half your riders in, in bloody hospital, you know. Um, so what, what you know, would you see next I year then? We need to... Well, nothing will happen until somebody gets badly hurt or worse, because that's just the way it is. Um, you know, we're getting riders hurt, but, you know, thank God, you know, um, or, uh, touch wood, you know, none of them have been like horrific injuries. They're, they're the usual collarbones, wrists and, and so on. But yeah, I, I would get rid of the whole shot devices, 100%, 100%, just get rid of the bloody things, get rid of the ride height devices, reduce aero. You know, you need some downforce aero because the bikes are going so fast now, but reduce aero by 50, 75%. That's you know if I if I was king of MotoGP that's what I would do. But because of the unanimity rule with the MSMA, it's not possible. None of it will happen. The only way Dorna can change stuff is is if it's presumed to be a safety issue. And I would say that is the case. You know, with, with the whole shot devices. I mean, four pileups and five race weekends. Uh, that's to me, it's pretty obvious what's going on. You know, um, but but what you said about you know the way all the riders have you know you've got two laps to get past everybody that's where you can like attack you know and that's also before your front tire pressure comes up which is another which is another kind of technical mess thing to throw into the technical mess mix you know it's just kind of like oh my god you know we, how have we created this this kind of monster that we've created i mean i still i still love MotoGP. of course i do you know i, I can watch what's a fairly boring race and really enjoy it because I, I, you know i'm looking at all the nuances going on and um blah 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 you know so but you know i'd much rather see more overtaking you know and and where we're going is 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 uh, we got less less overtaking more injuries blah 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 i could go on all day but you don't want me to <laughs> well that's part two yeah that is part two um uh, look <laughs> we are getting towards the end though um i will be back keith and i'll be back on thursday for extra to look forward to indonesia this weekend um but matt thank you so much for taking the time uh and where can people find and hear you uh if they would like to seek you out if they haven't done so already if they really want to <laughs> um i'm everywhere i'm afraid i'm i'm hard to avoid sorry uh so uh, i i'm myself and um, peter bomb who's a MotoGP um sort of engineer i've started doing a world superbike engineer i've started doing a um podcast called the oxley bomb MotoGP podcast so he's a he's a garage guy right so he knows everything that i don't so he's fantastic and what else writing wise i'm i'm on you know i do blogs every week and race MotoGP race reports on motorsportmagazine.com I think it's called or is that motorsportmagazine.co.uk one of those just google my name in motorsport magazine and, and you'll find it you know um, brilliant yeah thanks no it's been great and um 
me and Keith could chat bites all day, couldn't we? So, you know, we've done it for an hour. And I'm, I understand it's just warmed up. <laughs> well, definitely, though, in that case, I have to get you back for more. <laughs> um lovely all right then we'll end it there then go and check out check out uh matt's podcast as well um and uh yeah keith and i back on thursday for extra we've also got on the channel you can check out keith's chat with carl fogarty part one and two out now to enjoy uh they went down to the stirrup cup and had a uh, pub to have a good chin wag so it's really worth uh, having a little listen there um back on extra for thursday to look at all things indonesia any questions omg motogp at gmail.com or jot them down in the youtube or on social media and we'll try and seek them out and always remember to leave a review very important wherever you get your podcasts and we'll see you right back here a little later on this week my thanks to keith Hewitt, matt oxley we'll see you next time bye-bye planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.